You're listening to Creative Rituals with me, artist and illustrator Georgie Stewart. This is a new podcast about the daily habits of artistic life. Each week I'll be asking writers, artists, musicians and all kinds of creatives about how exactly they get down to it and make great work. How do artists plan their day to generate and protect their creativity? My guest this week is the contemporary artist Manon Stayart. Manon's artworks explore the ambiguous space between painting and sculpture, using materials such as silicon, latex and cellophane to create the illusion of flowing drapery. Starting by pouring the liquid substance onto her canvases, Manon then paints over her sculptures in dreamy colours and glossy textures. I visited the French-born artist in her Bermondsey studio, fresh off the back of her solo show with the space loved by all in the London art scene, Blue Shop Gallery. Oh my god! You did, yeah, I mean, like this before the wall on the left was completely full. Oh my god, the light is amazing. Yeah, that's one thing I actually thought It's also just so trippy because I'm so used to seeing it online, mm. but in the flesh. Yeah. Do you want one of these, by the way? Um, is it fizzy? Yeah. I mean, I don't like fizzy drinks. Oh, but it's water. It's sparkling water um, that's got like a little bit of cucumber in it. There we go. See whether you like it. It's not sugary at all. Mm, that's refreshing. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, for those who can't see, could you describe your working space? So, uh, it's a self-run studio in South Bermondsey, London. It's about four metres high, which is great, and we've got some industrial windows. Some of them are, you know, quite cracked. That feel, that's the charm, and it's quite <laughs> normal in London for what you pay. And then we've got some hard wooden floors... So it's a very traditional old warehouse that I think used to be some form of, you know, holdings for either goods or whatever it was. Um, but yeah, we're right next to Millwall Stadium in London. So it's really fun. It's a great area. There's tons of other artists around here. It's a um, multi, I would call this a multidisciplinary studio. I work with a lot of different materials. So the height and the windows and natural light is really good for that. Mm. And because you mentioned to me earlier that you might be moving, do you think you'll look for a studio in a similar area to this? I wouldn't... So, I mean, finding a studio in London is already quite difficult. So then you've got to go with studio complexes and then they tend to take over, you know, old buildings because they realise, you know, you need quite a lot of volumetric, you know, space for specific artists. So for a sculptor, you'll need quite a bit of height and, you know, natural light to be able to see the shadows play in the work. Um, if I move somewhere else, you've got to find, you know, where the studios are. If you're lucky enough to, you know, build your own studio, yeah. that's something different. <laughs> I actually think of it like really sad that you're going to leave it because when I think of your art, I Im- immediately think of your studio. It's not set in stone, so we'll, <laughs> we will see. It's just it's a, maybe what will come is a good opportunity to reconnect in the in the art scene with young artists in London so that's kind of why I want to make the move because um, artist studios can be quite lonely sometimes if you're by yourself which I am because yeah. I need quite a bit of floor, floor space for but what I'm I making I don't think I could deal with people popping their heads in every five minutes I feel no. like I need to yeah, shut, yeah. shut out the world yeah no I'm looking for a studio in terms of like it's a door you can't just walk in unannounced but in the sense of like getting a building that has you know just a little bit more of like people talk to each other rather than you know yeah. this is your own 
office because artists need those conversations a lot more I think and that's what I'm missing at the moment from you know my time in uni yeah where you had no privacy yeah but I'm looking yeah that's what I'm looking for still the same kind of setup just somewhere else yeah and how important is having a studio to your practice would you be creating without it and what might that look like I mean that's a really interesting question because we got to think like back to covid times I left London very quickly and found myself, you know, without a studio straight after my master's. After having... I was not in this studio at the time. I was in a different one in North London. And, you know, I kind of made do with what space I had at home. So I did create that environment. But, you know, way too small. My my practice 100% needs a studio. And it's a massive anxiety, I think, for any artist when you're making a move you know, will I have a studio? Will it? Will I be there in time for the works that I need to make? Because, you know, storage is just too expensive and then you're kind of left without space. Storage is so expensive. I only really recently, when I moved to Devon, got artist yeah. drawers. Because before, when I was at my mum's yeah. or when I lived in London, I just had pieces of paper everywhere. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm going to have to get some proper drawers. Yeah, yeah. And they are An archiving so system. Yeah. Even on eBay. Oh, uh, no, that's that's actually the one thing about being in London is that, because there's so many artists here, so many people constantly moving. In this studio complex, I call it the Bermuda Triangle. Out, not quite outside, it's still in the building, but if you ever want to get rid of anything that still works, like, you can't give something that, like, half works, that's just being lazy, throw it out, you know. This is more, you put something there either some cardboard or, you know, your broom, your old, you know, chair that you don't want anymore and people just take it. And, you know, within a day, it's gone. Yeah. That's so. ideal for my then. Well, no, it, it, yeah, it is because it means, like, imagine trying to find... I've A lot of the stuff in this studio is reclaimed via, you know, artists moving out and can't be bothered to sell it. So they're just like, just take it. I can't, I don't have the time. So a lot of the stuff in here is already reclaimed. And how does your studio fare season to season? Like, what's it? Is it quite cold in winter? Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So that I mean, I think some studio complexes in London are getting a little bit better at that. But this is quite, you know, for the price, you're not going to get central heating. This is just too old of a building. And I think a lot of studios, uh, a lot of artists know and you know struggle from this. I mean. This winter, when it got really cold, I got chillblains, which are like blisters on your hands. Oh my God, from that's the from cold. like an <laughs> Yeah, no, but like from it being yeah. so cold in here, like it's the same temperature outside as inside. And I would have, mm-hmm. you know, my little portable oil heaters. But And know. it's so easy to forget now that it's summer. But I remember I actually yeah. posted you like, Mother, what do I do? Like, there's so much dripping in my yeah. studio. Um, so yeah, I ended up getting that. What did you recommend? Dehumidifier. Yeah, dehumidifier. Yeah, 100%. By the sea, you're going to get so much humidity. Yeah. But I mean, in summer, it gets really, really hot because I've got these massive windows, which is basically floor to ceiling. So it gets all the beautiful light in, but so it doubles, warms up. Doubles the sauna. <laughs> yeah, so spring and autumn are great. Yeah. Spring the best, definitely. You've just had your solo show with mm-hmm. Blue Shop Cottage. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. And that was actually your second solo show this year. Could you talk yeah. a little bit about your experience of that? Um, well, I think it, I came off last year of doing more group shows and I was quite keen of doing some solos just to be able to exhibit a larger body of work that has a story, that has a continuance and that, you know, has a message or 
a portrayal of my ideas and it meant that I was given the opportunities of doing February to April and then June, uh, it was what, end of May to June, uh, sometime in June for Blue Shop Gallery. And it was very much back to back. And that was quite difficult because my works, I like to have the story in the, that continuance. So, you know, you have to really think of the connectivity within the works. You can't just show, so many people were like, Manon, why don't you just show some, you know, older works I was like no I can't everything has to be new and tied in together which meant you know I was producing a lot a lot of works in a year um maybe even too much for such a short amount so we're like in the sixth month made a lot but really proud of the works and you know the shows that I managed to put together but I definitely am now looking a little bit more to group shows even though I've got another solo coming I feel like that's literally exactly was my experience because I did two solos last year which was it was great like you say it's Mm. it's a lot to do in one year but last year I feel like for me it was such outward energy like traveling and doing the shows whereas this year I'm literally just retreating and like Mm -hmm. wanting to work really slowly on personal projects that I'm not necessarily sharing yet um or maybe even ever I don't know but I feel like it's nice to sort of go between the, go between the two. I mean, yeah, it's a complete, you know, it's a flow of inspiration. It's a flow of, like, hard work. And you've got to think as well, sometimes a solo show is a big investment as well in terms of money. So it is. It is, so, you know. So what's the biggest investment of money for you doing a solo show? Uh, probably the materials. And I, for my most recent one, so with Blue Shop Gallery, Cash Cash... Um, which is the name um, that was I did some experimental works in such a short period of time which I probably you know should have started earlier but I had like a consecutive eight weeks of working pretty much every day which knackered me out um, and so therefore experimenting on with new materials and I outsourced some like laser cutting which meant you know sometimes it would come back wrong so you spend more money trying to figure it out so the materials, the raw materials are the most expensive for me. With silicon, you know, it's not cheap. Yeah, for sure. Mm. And cash cash, what does that mean? What's the meaning behind so that? So cash cash is a French word for the game of hide and seek. So the whole reflection of the show is there's some joyfulness in it. Normally I don't base works very hard, you know, into the titles. But this one was, all the works were titled after, you know, positions in the game and you know so it was very joyful very light-hearted show but then the deeper artistic story was um about the hide and seek the paint between painting and sculpture in the materials so I used a lot of transparencies in the silicon to reflect um a sense of floating femininity within the works and enticing the viewer to be able to see kind of through the work onto the structure um, showing bits that you know people don't look at very much, so highlighting various points in the works, which meant that they were playing hide and seek with one another. So it's that sense of a work in limbo between painting and sculpture. Very cool. I was so gutted because I knew I was coming to London. And I'm, yeah. I was so excited to come to the show, thinking it was still be on, and I thought I'll just check. And I was like, no, it's finished. They did. They did keep it open for an extra week, so it technically was taken down. Yes. No. Today. Yeah. Oh my so you could have gone, but it was via appointment only. Yeah. Because it was Glastonbury, you know. So, I mean, you have just 
kind of answer my question as well. Mm. So can you talk a little bit about the pieces in the exhibition? And I guess just in general, the style of artwork yeah. that you do, because I also noticed some different shapes in this collection, like the yeah. thinner strips. Yeah, so the strips um, of silicon are weaved in and out of these acrylic frames that I got laser cut. And then I hand bent with a uh, heat gun the sides so it would float off the wall a little bit. And as well, you know, for hanging practicality. Um, and so, yeah, so they're weaved in and out. They drape outward into the space rather than around the wooden frame, which is more my classical stuff. So I was really excited about those works because it meant that the viewing for a viewer is much more 180 against the wall than before because at one point when you have just the right angle of looking, the work will fall out of your eyesight. So it will almost disappear. So it's an extra sense of hide and seek. And also the frames acrylic were see-through. So it was a whole, again, the sense of it floating and... Visibility. Yeah, yeah, visibility and and visibility. Do you prefer to give your whole self to a project or do you like setting aside small portions of time each day to juggle multiple projects at one go? I think that's... um... I think that's just really dependent on, you know, what comes in and what I'm working on. Sometimes I've had a couple of things happen at the same time, so you have to work naturally consecutively. And I because mine is really due to the space on the floor that I have to pour the silicon, I have to do calculations in terms of, like, you know, this day it will be drying, this day I can put it together, but I have to pour on this day as well. So when I miss, in those eight weeks that I was discussing before, if I missed one or two days where people was like, oh, come on, you can take a day off. I was like, I could probably take a half a day off, but I can't it's miss. It's so hard when you actually don't have a boss and you have to be so strict you with yourself. You have to be really strict with yourself. So for me, I created this whole Excel sheet diary of, you know, planned every day. So it didn't really give me... It was great because I didn't really have to think yeah. too much, but I mean... it took me a good week of like planning everything out to make sure it was all going to work. But then the stress was like, oh, shit, if I miss two days. Sorry, I didn't yeah. realise I could swear. Um, two days, <laughs> if I miss two days, that brings me... Wh- I don't have a lot of time if something goes wrong. But I'm such a sucker for... I make all these timetables and plans mm. and I never follow them. I just spend yeah. so much time making the friggin' schedule. Yeah, don't you don't have time for the work. So. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about your relationship with procrastination do you suffer from it at all I know that makes it sound like a disease no 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 (laughs) I mean I think anyone does in this day and age of you know the power of social media but as in terms of like when I need to get stuff done I don't tend to procrastinate too much I'm quite good at that when I have like the high of you know making the work and seeing the first work made and finished that just makes me want to make the you know the rest that are planned um yeah I do like sometimes but I you know you've got to think I enjoy coming to the studio and making the work when there's nothing going on you know you know when you're having a lower period of time that's when I procrastinate yeah but I try and push myself a little bit more into you know my other hobbies like sport and cooking at the yeah. moment what sports do you do uh boxing oh, yeah. boxing is what well, you know it's get, legal get it hit, yeah get it out <laughs> punch it out but yeah is there a certain time of day you feel most inspired to create? Um, I'm definitely not a night owl. Like no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not one of those like you know romanticized artists. You know, in their studio at two a.m. You know, not that at all. Because I think it's like 
you I think you're able to do that if every single one of your friends is an artist and does the same because then you're on the same schedule but you know a lot of my friends are not so mm. and I want to dedicate time to you know relax and take wind down wind down so wind morning down. morning is my best definitely um probably until like 2 p.m until like lunchtime and then I'm like then That's I can procrastinate I yeah. hate working in the evenings it's I, like well at pet the moment because I'm the same I do I pretty much do all my work in the morning and then like do yeah. work in the afternoon but this week it's been so hard because of the mural the first few days mm. I use projector and the room has to be completely dark yeah so I've been in s- summer yeah in summer <laughs> so I've had to wait to, to until like 11 o'clock to start yeah. and then work till 4am and it's been so hard like I used I would have found that quite easy when we were ago. younger <laughs> yeah, I mean, well even when I lived in London I was a bit of a night owl but now well you've got to think in London even there's still stuff going on outside at night was where you are now yeah. it's very much you know honestly I came down in the morning and I was like I may as well have just done those drugs <laughs> <laughs> Glastonbury um, mural I know are there any specific little things that you do to get yourself in the creative headspace, whether that's like something you wear, certain kind of music you listen to, any little rituals that make you kind of think, uh, I'm in artist mode now? I would say like, I think, because I'm a big cook and I love cooking and I love food. I think for me, it's the sense of actually first sitting down at home, making my breakfast and then getting out the door. And then, you know, in terms of, the artist, you know, clothing. <laughs> it's quite an interesting one. I have so many old clothes in here that I actually don't wear. And I've tried to do the things like, oh, I get into what I wear and stuff like that. No, it, I, I will ruin it. So I start from home, stupidly, yeah. in the artist stuff. But um, I can't really think of, like, a, you know, ritual. I think the one thing I probably do is sit down at my desk, go through my diary, go through one or two emails, and then kind of get get ahead and just start... Because, because mine in terms of sculpture, it's not as easy as, you know, not the painting is easy at all. It's you know just as hard. It, in the sense of you know picking up a paintbrush and having your paints there, it's, you know, accessible. Where, in terms of the materials that I use, there's a there's a lot more prep work yeah. to then even like use silicon. There's so much prep work that you know by the time I get to making the work, it's like the end of the it's like afternoon. So. <laughs> A lot of maybe clean the studio. Um, yeah. I don't really... No, I can't say they have too many. The clothes one is an interesting one because I've just started reading this book called What Artists Wear, mm-hmm. which is really interesting, all about the psychology of basically yeah. that. But I agree. I think it is such a romantic idea to think I'm going like, to put my overalls on now when in reality I'm just going to wear what I always wear. Yeah, and you just, you just got to... I think as an artist, you just got to get with the fact that the majority of your clothes will be ruined... Yeah. in like the next year yeah although I do actually there's some that I will that... never step into the studio with I decide like <laughs> I like my clothes I was like I will never ever dare put it on no well my mum's always like really George white dungs I'm like yeah don't wait me white mud liner <laughs> gonna get it but I do find when I'm working in my gym kit for some reason I really don't like doing that like I oh see I'm the opposite I've started doing using gym kit to uh work in because I have to be quite you're quite mobile. I'm yeah. quite mobile, so I need stuff that, you know, like, in terms of, like, leggings, there's no sense of, you know... When I'm pouring the silicon, I actually have to, you know, stretch myself quite a bit on the floor that if I have, like, you know, tight trousers on or, you know, something that's stopping me 
I can't, I have to wear quite, you know, loose yeah. clothing in terms of, you know, lets me be able to do quite a lot of movement. Yeah. What does taking breaks throughout the day look like for you? Um, I think it used to be, you know, kind of going on my phone and stuff like that. But I think my lunch break is the most important one. I try to not have many other breaks at all. Do you go out for lunch? No, there's not much around in the area, to be honest with you. Like, you know, we're in the middle of an industrial estate with a lot of um, car workshops. So there's not, there's not much. I kind of just, because I want to, not that I'm like aching to leave the studio, but my lunch break is, you know, I sit down, I watch like a TV show and I eat my lunch that I brought in. Um, and that's my break, really. And maybe I'll go and get coffee from a coffee shop, but um, there's not really, you know, the ritualistic sense of break yeah. in the well, studio. So you bring in a packed lunch? Yeah, what kind I of do. What stuff do you bring in? Oh, it really depends from, you know, summer to winter. Um, summer will be, you know, lighter, sort of like salady grain stuff. And then winter will be, you know, kind of curries. Everything's homemade because I'm a big cook. So yeah, it's, you know. Of course you are. Yeah. I forgot about your cooking page. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever experience self-doubt when working on pieces that you don't feel are successful? Or do you simply see it as an inevitable part of the creative process? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think if you're an artist, you don't have self-doubt. You're like, if you don't have self-doubt as an artist, it's like, it's not normal. Oh, oh, I see what you yeah. mean. I thought you meant like... If you do. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, if you don't have self-doubt, because the self-doubt is, it's the like, the, not the warning call, but like the warning of like, get out your comfort zone, yeah. try the work. And you know, not every work is going to be, you're ever going to show. It will stay in the dark crevices of your studio and no one will see it. But you got through that work to be able to make the works that you do like. Self-doubt, I think, is a natural part unless you have a, you know, humongous ego as an artist and you yeah. think, you know, everyone should lick your shoes. Yeah. Um, I think it's normal. So I think, yeah, I do, definitely do have self-doubt. It's a normal part of the process. But once you work through that and you get the work that kind of just, like, places everything into position so, like, something clicks, then, yeah... Yeah. It's worth it. And I feel like it's so easy to beat yourself up. I actually even had it this morning. I mm. worked for four hours on something and then I got to the end of it and I was like, this is shit, <laughs> terrible. Yeah. And then you go into that mode of, oh, I've wasted the morning. Yeah. Blah, yeah, yeah. blah, blah. But, and then it's just reminding yourself it's not wasted. You have it's not to wasted. You have to go through those moments to and like... And see like, why, why, okay, why did I not like that? Why is it bad? Yeah. Well, it's just, it'll teach you in terms of like, what you want to do for the next work mm. and also it makes you realize how special it is when you say like you say something does click because i think sometimes then you can take it for granted if you're on a roll mm. and then when you go on a bad roll mm. you're just chasing that feeling yeah i mean as well i think when that happens you know i what i do is sometimes i i either photograph the work from different angles because so different it looks really different things. yeah spot things come back to it a different day so don't don't go off that immediate emotion kind of like let it settle think about it come back the next day and then look at the work in that that new daylight and then go from there because I've done it where I was like this is shit like what the hell and then next day when the light is actually different mm. at the end of the day I was like oh actually I, I really like this one. Yeah. Um, and it's good to pause when you are in the middle of making the work to pause and stop and be like, if I carry on working on this, 
I'm going to ruin it and then I've wasted materials. Yeah. Specifically for me with silicon, I was like, oh, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to, you know, shake things off, like go outside, go back home, work on my laptop, get out of the studio. Yeah. Because then you can restart. That would be like my advice yeah, for it. For sure, stepping away. I actually had it the other day. I put up, I think I, I rushed through this piece mm. and then I put it up. And something in me was going like, it's not quite right, it's not quite right. Literally wake up the next day, I was like, I, that colour's wrong. Yeah, exactly. And it's a I new wish perspective. I wish I had like, just rushed and like, why did I feel the need to post for something that I wasn't happy with? Yeah, I get that. How much do you think technology comes in between you and your creative work? Would you consider yourself addicted to your devices? Yeah, 100%. Like, everyone says, constantly, man, I'm down on TikTok. And I was like, hell no, I'm not having another <laughs> no, app that I'm stuck to. I refuse. I absolutely refuse. Um, I think it's definitely gone in the way of my creativity and sometimes even the ability to, like, finish work. Not maybe finish work, but to see the value in my work. Because everyone is, you know, constantly posting. You're, you're being fed so much every day way more than you would be able to see in the art world. I mean, like, hell, I go to, what, two shows a week max, like, private views to try and fit into the schedule. If I, and if I didn't have my phone, that would be the only art exposures I would have, apart from, like, you know, meeting up with my friends. Yeah. Now I can be exposed to 15, 16 galleries in one day with their new shows and new artworks, and you're, like, in this constant... I'm in the constant, at the moment, of anxiety. It's like... I'm not doing enough. Oh, but if I make too much, it's like I haven't got the inspiration. Everyone's doing so much all the time. You sh- I don't think you should be exposed to that much. Yeah, I totally agree. But on the flip side, mm-hmm. how do you think it positively? In- do you, like What do you think, how do we tread the line between the positive and the negative? It's, I mean, it's really, I mean, that's like the, I think that will be the hardest point for young artists so I started like for example my Instagram in what my undergrad they've started that they've had Instagram for god knows how long longer than us and we're you know we're only 27 so for them you've got to think they'll be way more on that for us we saw the rise of Instagram and the power in art through lockdown and for me that's how it started my career 100% kick-started very quickly the aspect of selling work and doing curators finding you and exhibitions and stuff like that because everyone was using their phone everyone was using instagram to communicate for art purposes because all the galleries were closed anyway right so everyone was more instagram seeing photos of intimate spaces in ukraine work so it's i mean i don't i can't tell you the answer to finding Mm. the balance for it i think it's so down to the individual and how they can find balance because yeah it's really something to work through because again it's overexposure through artwork is you know should everyone be seeing what you're doing in the studio you've got to keep that sense of like mystery of an art, artist working in their studio yeah. right apart from when you come on a podcast <laughs> yeah 100 but you know yeah. there's no visuals yeah like, this I, is pure description imagination audio, for yeah sure. Because I feel like I go through such ups and downs with it. Like sometimes mm. I have a really healthy distance from it, mm. and I think it's mainly when I don't scroll. Yeah, and I just use it to put my stuff on as like a log. Yeah, but then it is literally a drug. So there are times when I go through really bad mm. periods of like a week when I'm definitely more addicted and taking it 
more personally and more seriously yeah. and with the whole algorithm changing yeah thing, the algorithm changes like, are really difficult what, it's so mental that that bothers us yeah. like right now I would say it doesn't bother me but I've definitely gone through I think when it first changed it was like January 2021 yeah and I just started feeling so shit about my work because I was like well it must be really shit yeah like, the, 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 the like counts and stuff like that yeah you think it's a reflection of like how <laughs> how so many silly. people like it well no it's a reflection of how many people are seeing it yeah that's it but even so like i have to really tell myself now i am a lot better yeah um because i guess now we're just used to the algorithm being shit so i think we've kind of like i was like oh this is the algorithm yeah quite this is the algorithm it's quite good. this can't be my work my <laughs> yeah. work is great it's quite the algorithm to blame it on that actually, yeah to be fair it's a good scapegoat if you could click your fingers and there'd be no such thing as Instagram or the online world, would you or not? No. No. I don't think I would because it gives so many opportunities. It gives so many opportunities. You know, now curators find artists that way. You know, they... You could have a website as an artist. It's not actually that necessary. It's only necessary if you're exporting, yeah. you know, artworks, you know, via DHL. But a lot of people be like, oh, can we see your Instagram? A lot of places actually also want to see how many followers an artist has, you know, in terms of how much reach they have. Yeah, I know. But, you know, in terms of the height commercialization. But I don't think I would. I think I... The balancing act is more important. I also feel like it's the balance of intrinsic versus extrinsic pleasure in terms of yes it's very romantic to say i wish there was no instagram and i'd just be away in my studio doing how my work. yeah but the realization is like how many shows would you have or how many yeah. people would find out your about your work well, that's what i was going to say is the ple- the intrinsic pleasure is the actual making of it in the studio mm. but in reality there's something lovely about sharing it also scary yeah about like sharing exposing it, yeah. in the gallery or online or wherever but they kind of come hand in hand. Like, I feel like artists are meant to share their work. Yeah. I think, well, I mean, some artists don't, and it's, you know, just for self, for themselves and whatever they might be working through. But, you know, art has always been kind of seen as either a way to record what you're seeing or even, you know, either political, to send messages. Art is supposed to give an experience to a viewer that is not within the daily norm. It's supposed to be able to take you out of your own head and position you into a new mode of thinking. That's what art, to me, is supposed to be. Yeah, I love that summary. I'm going to steal that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's recorded, so... (laughs) Just edit that bit out. (laughs) Do you prefer the beginning, middle or end of working on a piece? I think the middle and end. Because the beginning, for me, looks... It's very very different i think to you know a lot of people who do like you know small sketches and then blow it up uh in terms of you know insights um whereas for me i do sometimes i do like computer renderings of the work mm-hmm. and sometimes it is actually quite interesting to see how the end piece can look very similar so to what the software do you use oh just photoshop. photoshop but um it's just a quicker way of me putting together my idea um, then then drawing it out sometimes and um, the middle sometimes can be quite you know it's 
it's a tiring process physically sometimes. So if I'm not in the mood or I'm not in the headspace and I'm like, oh, I've got to make work because, you know, it's either for a show or a commission or just because, you know, that day I decided to make work. It can be quite tiring, but the end when I've attached it, I've attached the silicon and it looks good, it's like that breathe out moment. You're like, I'm actually really like, I really like that work. Like, wow, okay. Yeah. Quite proud of it, actually. And you're like, it's the sense of just like exhale that's like mm. like you're not patting yourself on the back but you're kind of you're like kind of you kind of are you're <laughs> like well like you know i'm really happy with that yeah that's when they're good when and they're bad also, it's like because the middle oh, for me the the middle is one of actually starting i sometimes find really hard especially if i'm really excited by an idea i sometimes like find it really hard to start because i'm almost mm. scared that what's yeah. in my head isn't gonna yeah come out and it's hard to envision sometimes what you have in your head in the planning stages and you're like wait why can't I yeah why can't I see this sometimes the middle stages you know the experimenting stage yeah. and you're just like, but I also wanna... the middle stage can be fucking stressful like when you can't you just pray to god it is gonna come together and then like yeah it's such a nice feeling when it does but yeah. often it doesn't but I remember when I was on holiday and uh, we were with some family friends they say oh it must just be so relaxing to draw and paint every day and I'm like <laughs> drawing for me is not relaxing yeah like it's it's a challenge it's like it, a technical yeah. challenge that, yeah. yeah it's like, like a puzzle that I'm trying to yeah. figure out the answer to yeah I mean a lot of art is just problem solving yeah for sure. I find a lot of my practice is problem solving yeah I think it, David Hockney said that he, when he's working on like a massive scale, yeah. he'll go on a treadmill and just walk while he's looking at it. And then while he's walking, he will spot like the mathematical problems. Yeah. It. Well, I mean, there's a sense of, you know, the angles to which you look at your works very much change your ideas on them because it's, you know, it's a whole viewpoint. And then it also allows you to think, it's like, oh, okay, if I'm seeing it from here, this is not how I want the viewer to see the work from here. So I'm glad that I saw it from this angle or this perspective because then it gives you the essence of, like, I didn't see this about the work because you've only been ever in the, f- like, one position seeing it. Yeah. We'll end with some quick fire questions. Sure. <laughs> First thing you do when you wake up? First thing I'd make coffee. Last thing you do before you go to sleep? Now I try and read a book, and I've been doing it actually quite well. Yeah, it's so crazy that I have to really put aside time to do that. Yeah, well, yeah. I've had more free time now after the show finishing and I've finished a book. And I'm saying this because, listeners, I normally do not read that much. (laughs) It's just never been my thing. And I've finished a book in, like, less than a month and it was 400 pages. And I was just like, it's because I've had time. It is the time. But in a sense of just before bed, it just does wonders for your sleep. Yeah, because I found for me, I'm trying to find like the optimal time because I think it wakes me up a bit before I sleep. Um, I think uh, espresso post lunch with a book <laughs> is also great. Also, it's something that once I start reading, I love it, but it's actually just getting myself to get out the book. It's yeah. really hard because, again, it goes back to the screen thing, like my yeah. hand reaches for my yeah. phone. Yeah, no, I've been trying to de screen, so yeah. And final question, why is living a creative life important to you? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm my own boss. Two, I'm a naturally super curious person and the satisfaction and the, you know, the joy that I get from making something from 
just an idea in my mind and be able to make something physical, tangible out of it, I think is the most rewarding thing, is actually, you know, visualising an idea and being able to share it with other people. I think that's why I'm a creative. It's just the essence of fulfilling my own curiosities. That's what it is. Yeah, it all, all comes down to curiosity. It is. I think if you're not a curious person, you're just... You're not going to... You're going to stay in the same lane. You're going to stay in the same lane. That's a very good way of putting it. Also, the the boss thing. I think that's something I sometimes forget day to day, that how lucky we are not. Yeah, because do you know when I do remember is when other people who are not a creative mention it to me. And I was like, if you only knew how many hats you have to wear in self-employment, you know, in terms of, you know, managing your time, your finances, your friends, you know, work obligations, all these things, like... You marketing. only mark, yeah, marketing, making the work. Content creator. Yeah, you're also a content creator yeah. nowadays. So it's a lot of, you know, various things you have to, to do to keep going. And also, it's more the keeping sane whilst doing all of that. I think is, you know, people was like, yeah, you get to wake up whenever you want to. It was like, yeah, but I don't wake up. Yeah, but I'm you, like, if I don't, I don't get paid yeah. as well. I'm there's no I'm relying on nobody else bar me and obviously you have galleries that show your work but they just have it just as much a stake in it than you do exactly so that's what I'm saying they have a big stake in it they don't want to have your work for years and years so yeah cool well that's a perfect name to end on well thank you very much for having me now let's go get a pint yeah (laughs) absolutely If you want to find out more about Manon's work, you can find her on Instagram at manonstayartart and you can find me at Georgie Stewart Illustration. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to share it with a friend or anyone who might find it interesting. Thank you for listening to Creative Rituals.